Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 10 from the complete Jewish Bible. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a minor, he is no different from a slave, even though he is the legal owner of the estate. Rather, he is subject to guardians and caretakers until the time previously set by his father. So it is with us. When we were children, we were slaves to the elemental spirits of the universe. But when the appointed time arrived, God sent forth his son. He was born from a woman, born into a culture in which legalistic perversion of the Torah was the norm, so that he might redeem those in subjection to this legalism and thus enable us to be made God's sons. Now because you are sons, God has sent forth into our hearts the spirit of his son, the spirit who cries out, Abba, that is, dear father. So through God, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, you are also an heir. In the past, when you did not know God, you served as slaves, beings, in which reality are non-gods. But now you do know God, and more than that, you are known by God. So how is it that you turn back again to those weak, miserable, elemental spirits? Do you want to enslave yourselves to them once more? You observe special days, months, seasons, and years. Thank you, Paula. As, as I mentioned earlier, Joy and I came back from a trip to Israel, and uh, folks have asked me to share about it. And I'm not particularly narcissistic in a sense of, look at me, look at me. But um, sharing uh, about the trip, I believe, it will be um, illustrative uh, about what God is doing in Israel and hopefully encourage and challenge us um, to pray more intelligently. Um, first of all, Joy and I wanted to thank everybody for your prayers for us. Um, it was an intense and a stressful trip with lots of distractions. Um, next time we'll plan to bring a GPS, which we didn't have this time. Uh, we got lost a lot. Um, and by the way, um, I've, I've been told that after each war that Israel goes through, um, its fatality, road fatality rate goes up. And it has, during those seasons, Israel has the highest road fatality in the world. Um, Israel, by the way, is north to south about 300 miles and we, tra we traveled 1300 miles um, part of the stress is the fact that many of the roads are not like our highways and so you start out uh, you, come, you work up to 75 miles an hour within a mile or so you slam on the brakes you stop because there's a red light and you pick up slam on the brakes, etc. Um, and as I was coming, I, I remembered 
that here, uh, the amber, the orange light, is an indication that you need to slow down and, s and prepare to stop. In Israel, the amber light is an indication that you better crank up and get ready to take off. And so people see that, and they're like, <laughs> um, And so I uh, learn all kinds of lessons in tribulation worketh patience. Uh, when people were about a foot or so from my uh, posterior and uh, honking and flashing lights and so on. Um, and by the way, one of the roads that we traveled on after we left Israel um, was a road that the Palestinians, when they rioted, tried to stop and, and uh, disturbed. And so uh, it was wild. Um, and by the way, when you drive in Israel, uh, the better part of wisdom that you mostly want to avoid areas that are controlled by the Palestinian authorities because you never quite know what will happen. First night, uh, first day we came to, to Israel, we landed, rented a car, came to uh, a city called Ashkelon, which is on the coast 15 miles north of Gaza. And that first night, the air raid Silence, sirens uh, went on and we heard a thud and uh, the gal and her daughter um, who were there in the house told us to hightail it downstairs to the safe room where the, um, the doors, uh, where the door was uh, about six inches, uh, of made of six inches of complete steel and uh, there were gas masks uh, in the safe room. So when I say that it was quite a, um, a challenging trip, um, it felt like every single day contained enough experiences that normally here would be uh, a week's worth of experiences. Um, and as you can imagine, traveling with a 10-year-old uh, who has never been on a plane um, was quite a stretch. And I'll talk about that as time goes on. I didn't want to fill your ear um, about our experience because I'm eager to share the Word of God today. But part of what I wanted to say is not just to present the difficult things, but uh, to point out that in the midst of the intensity and the stress, we experience God's favor. And that's what the Lord does with us. Uh, a couple of things. One is uh, we took a glass bottom boat in a lot uh, at the tip of the Red Sea. And uh, I struck up a conversation with a young father. It was family, uh, father, mother, kids, grandparents. And uh, of course, he had been to the state. He wanted to know what what I did for a living. <laughs> and I said to him, I'm a Messianic rabbi. And he wanted to understand what that meant. And I explained to him uh, that we're Jews and Gentiles who believe in Yeshua. And his father heard this, and we had a loud and a boisterous conversation <laughs> about uh, the Messiah. And uh, this loud and boisterous conversation with lots of hand gestures uh, talking about uh, messianic prophecies in Isaiah 53 and so on. Uh, that was interesting. 
Um, and also, you all were praying for my cousin Vardy and uh, the older cousin Shalva, whom I have not seen in 50 years. Uh, because when my folks came to faith in Yeshua, there was a complete separation between us and, uh, and the rest of the family. And uh, Vardi, who is a psychologist, wanted to know why that was the case. And so um, I shared with her that it was because of our commitment to Yeshua. And uh, she was very sober, but she listened. And um, at the end of the conversation, um, she said that this for her was a closing of a door. It was a sense of closure for her. Um, which also meant that the door was open for additional contact. Um, completely secular, you know, just like uh, your secular Gentile neighbors who talk about uh, God being up there or grandmother being up there and looking down and smiling and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, God's favor is also on this little piece of real estate. As you drive, um, along the Jordan Valley, you see that uh, 15 miles uh, to the east is Jordan, and you see absolutely nothing, completely barren. And as you drive in Israel, you see miles after miles of palm groves and all kinds of farms that take place. And uh, it's not just because Jewish people are clever and resourceful, it's God's hand has been on the nation. And, um, you know, I'm convinced that part of that is that God's grace and favor comes upon us not necessarily because we're good. Amen? Because if that was the case, then we would get what we deserve. Uh, which sometimes, sometimes uh, isn't particularly pretty. Um... And for us who are followers of Yeshua, who've signed on the dotted line and said, Lord, come into my life. I give you the keys to every room in the house. Um, this relationship with our Heavenly Father, this sense that we are sons and daughters with Him, means that we experience His grace and favor. Whether we understand it, whether we are focused on it, whether we're self-consumed uh, or not. Um, and part of the issue is how we handle the Word of God. Um, because again, when we signed on a dotted line, part of the picture was that we said, God, I am going to read and study and meditate and reflect and feed on and apply your word as it is revealed in this book. And the issue is that it, as we look at it, um, as is the case most of the time, we seem to run from one ditch to the other. Uh, the one ditch is the legalistic ditch that um, Paula referred to in the translation that you read from the complete Jewish Bible. Um, other translations just say the law, and David Stern 
paraphrases it to add the word legalistic um, practice. And this is a major issue, especially in our community, the Messianic Jewish community. Folks look at what the Torah has to say, and sometimes they smoke their brains because they try to figure out exactly what it does say, what it doesn't say, how we're supposed to keep it, how we're not supposed to keep it. And a major part of the issue is that they put an 800-pound gorilla on their back that simply says, I have to keep it, I have to know and understand what it says, and if I don't, I will experience God's judgment, just like it says in the Torah. Um, then, of course, the other ditch are the folks that, sa- that say, we're free from the law, you know, from the curse of the law. Messiah fulfilled the law. We're cursed from the law. Uh, we can uh, take a pair of scissors and start with the good stuff, you know, from Joshua and not worry about the earlier parts. Um, and furthermore, We've been given lots of grace, and uh, we're friends with the Almighty, and He likes us, He loves us, and, um, and so we really don't need to sweat, and we'll do what we can do as we're inclined to do. The main point is being spiritual. And by the way, this is the, the gig, as it were, that we uh, hear from folks uh, in the world, and unfortunately, a lot of times among fellow believers. Um, by the way, I, I, I had uh, uh, the father of a young child who had a play date with Isaiah who came and um, came to pick up the child and come to find out he's Jewish from New York. And we talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. Uh, quite a bit him talking, talking, talking. <laughs> and uh, part of the picture was he said, you know, uh, first of all, and this is this was really odd, he was jazzed to know that I'm a Messianic rabbi uh, because he goes to a spiritual group that talks about the principles of Christ, you know, the spiritual principles the nice, gentle, loving principles. Um, and so we talked about that some. Again, uh, talked. And um, it reflects the other ditch in the body of Messiah that so many folks uh, look at, at the Torah, the law of Moses, with jaundiced eye and basically say, you know, uh, I really don't need to worry about that. And one of the consequences is that you look at the body of Messiah, f- the fellow believers, Jews and Gentiles in the church, and you see that the, the stats for um, abominable behavior is similar to what you see in the, commu- in the society at large as it is in the body of Messiah. Same kind of stats. Divorce, uh, child abuse, wife abuse, etc., etc. And I'm convinced that a major part of that is that uh, folks have not learned to study the Torah and understand God's principles for holiness 
um, and learn the basic principles of the fear of God. So those are the two ditches that we see. And so um, the, book, the book of Galatians is one of those that people use as ammunition um, against legalism. But I, I want to, first of all, to leave legalism and, and antinomianism, anti-Torah, aside for a minute. Because what this chapter, to me, speaks about is not the Torah per se and keeping the Torah, but about what it means to be children of God. Did you see that? If you were to go through chapter 4 and underline all the words that say child or children and son, I counted it, you know, being somewhat OCD. Uh, There are 14 times when the word child or children or son or sons appears uh, in this chapter. So I hope you realize with me that, that this idea of our relationship with God as our Father is really in a major way the key that unlocks this chapter. And part of what Paul talks about is simply the fact that children of God don't understand the joy of being his kids. And he makes a, um, a comparison to a child who is being uh, cared for um, by, a, uh, by a nanny or, or by a, um, uh, a tutor um, that in a sense, even though they're children and they have the inheritance of their parents, they're really not free to enjoy it. Um, and he, I believe part of the message is that he's saying that without our understanding Yeshua and the working of the Spirit of God, that we can be like those children who are enslaved. Why? Because we don't understand the Father's good plans for us. And that because of that, we come into our relationship with God with all kinds of false expectations, with all kinds of fears, with all kinds of lies about who God is and who we are. Uh, we believe all kinds of lies about, about who God is. Um, you know, uh, and because of that, we say things such as, uh, my bad, I'm never going to amount to anything much in the kingdom. God has better children than I do. Uh, or perhaps a few of us are saying, wow, look at me, aren't I cool? I hope we don't have too many of either kind or especially the, the other kind, um, arrogance. But part of the picture for us is that God wants us to learn to enjoy what it means to be his sons and daughters. Uh, Look at verse 4 and verse 5. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the Torah. And uh, again, remember, David Stern considers that to be a legalistic observance of the Torah. I'm not sure you really need to say that. Uh, Yeshua was part of a system where people sought to keep the Torah, some of them, some of it legalistic, some of it not. Verse 5, to redeem those 
who are under the Torah so that we might receive the full rights of sons or the adoption. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, it's a legal term that refers to the fact that when, uh, when people adopt a child, um, they have the choice whether to adopt a child or, or to have a relationship with a child that is full or partial. And um, we have a relationship with the Lord that is full. This idea of sonship or, or being daughters of, of the king. Paul describes that also in verse uh, chapter 8, verse 15. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you have received the spirit of, sh- of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. What are the full benefits of being children of God? I mean, I, I know that kind of sounds out there, you know. Um, how, do you, how do you put feet, uh, how do you put shoes in those feet? At least for me, in, in the years of ministry, a major part of that is that we have a basic sense of insecurity about who God is. Think about it. Um, we talk about our Heavenly Father. Well, if we were to go around and ask for a show of hands of how many people grew up in a household where Father was loving and patient and nurturing, um, I suspect uh, we might have half a hand. Um, this is not a slam on fathers. It simply means that we have a lot of brokenness in our society. And a major part of that is that fatherhood is something that is not taught, it's not modeled, and it's not practiced. So because of that, when we talk about being children uh, of, of God, being God's kids, kids of the Father, it's hard for us to put our arms around that. Um, and, and what Paul in Galatians and also in Romans tells us is that there's something in us Obviously, the Spirit of God that somehow moves in us so that when we relate to God, uh, there's a tenderness. Are you hearing me? There's a tenderness that we look at God and we say, Abba, Father. Abba, by the way, is Aramaic for my father. Um, We have a basic sense of insecurity about who God is and who we are in Him. Because we don't understand the passionate and overwhelming love that God has for us. John puts puts it this way. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. What does it mean to lavish? It means lavish. It means to pour um, without limit. Which means that our Heavenly Father has an amazing love for us whether we are on target or not. 
And part of the lies is that we have the sense that unless we are a target all the time, that we are under God's rebuke and, and anger and judgment. Boy, that's a big 800-pound gorilla, isn't it? And at least for me, part of a major part of my growing up as a follower of Yeshua has been in this legalistic frame of mind where I was expected to do what is right. Which is part of the picture. Again, remember, a good lie has an element of truth in it. And yes, God expects us to do what is right, to follow his commandments, to follow his Torah. But not legalistically. Legalism, folks, means that I have this silly sense that I have to keep God's commandments by my power, my wisdom, and that unless I do, God is going to be perpetually angry at me and punish me and make me suffer. And I hear that all the time. That when folks go through difficult times, the first tendency is to say, well, this is happening because the Lord needed to discipline me, you know, nice spiritual word, um, because he was angry at me. And the truth, folks, is on any given day, I don't know about you, uh, there's so many things that I do stupidly that at the end of the day, I, I want to pull what remaining hair I have and say, oh, wow, th- this was really retarded. I really shouldn't have done that, and I could have done this. It would have been a whole lot better. Uh, I am repeating tapes that I assume all of us have to one degree or another. And that's bondage, folks. That's slavery. Because it puts everything on us, nothing on God. And because of that, uh, we have the fear. And this fear puts us in a chokehold. Because we don't know who the Lord is. We don't know who we are in Him. So that when someone asks you who you are, you don't rattle off all kinds of things about what you do and what you've done, but, but you learn at least for yourself to say, I'm, I'm a son of the king or I'm a daughter of the king. Amen. And part of the picture is, is we... We don't park on our failures and our sin. Lord knows we have all kinds of them. And we really don't want to do the Lady Macbeth routine. I've mentioned her from time to time. You know, where uh, she goes at 2 a.m. And, and looks for imaginary blood and says, Out damn spot! There's bondage in, in focusing on our sins. And yes, we need to repent as the Spirit of God brings them to mind. But do we want to park on ourselves and our sins and our failures and our ability and our inability or do we want to park on God? Do we want to grow in Him? Do we want to learn more about who He is? And Scripture is full, obviously, of statements that, that we want to learn and put into our operating system and apply. One of the biggies is that despite the fact that we screw up, God doesn't. He doesn't run away from us. Let me just rattle through a number of, of statements that talk about God's faithfulness. And this is all in, 
in the epistles, obviously, the Torah and the prophets are full of statements about the fact that he is El Ne'eman, he is the faithful God. But here are a couple of things. First, uh, Second uh, Timothy 2.13, if we're faithless, he remains faithful, he cannot deny himself. What if some, then Romans 3, uh, 3 to 4, what if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. 1 Corinthians 1 9, God who has called you into fellowship with his son Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord, is faithful. But uh, then uh, 2 Timothy 3 3, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. You know, that's another fear button that we have because we look around and the world's a mishugi and it's getting mishugi-er. Um, you know, and, and uh, one of the things we love to do is, is look at the uh, current president and view him as somewhere in league with the evil one. And that somehow makes us feel a little bit better. Uh, does absolutely nothing for me, folks. Um, and it's a distraction. It's a distraction because we don't pay attention to who the Lord is. We don't learn to grow in Him. And remember that fear can lead to unbelief. Yeah, we all have fear buttons. You know, Paul talks about the fear that he had um, that, that they would go off track. But fear, if it's allowed to remain, can lead to unbelief. And we can either nurture and cultivate the fear and water and feed it, or else we can come before the Lord and say, Abba, Father, please forgive me. I'm being controlled by fear here. So because we learn to be secure in the Father's love for us, we're obviously, or hopefully obviously, inclined to come into His presence and seek to spend more time with Him. We don't want to be like Adam who blew it in the garden and God called out to him and he hid. We don't want to do that. We want to seek the Lord because we have learned to know who he is. Psalm 16, great example of David's attitude. You have made known to me the path of life. You would fill me with joy in your presence. Excuse me. You would fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And yes, the Lord judges, but He judges righteously and He judges with mercy. Again, otherwise we would be nuked. So, as I see it again, this, the emphasis here is about the relationship with our Heavenly Father as His sons and daughters. And understanding that, and hopefully we can come and see what scripture has to say about the Torah here. And as if you've been around believing circles for any length of time, you know 
And also in the Jewish community, frankly, you know that Paul has been described as this Eve, as this antinomian, the the uh, apostle of freedom. Um, you know, you may have heard things such as he was Saul, and then he got knocked off his donkey, and his name was changed to Paul, and he had been a Pharisee. He became a Christian, and uh, from the moment he became a Christian. He said, yes, I've been dying to eat ham and cheese sandwich on Passover. Um, Again, like all lies, this has an element of truth in it. Paul's life was definitely revolutionized. He became a new man. However, Paul remained a Torah-observant Jew. Not out of legalism, but because the Lord came into his life big time and out of love for him, he wanted to follow God's commandments. There are a couple of statements I wanted to read to you from the book of Acts that tell us that, and there are more. Um, And you can read this uh, at home in Acts 21 where Paul comes to Jerusalem and um, the apostles in in the mothership in Jerusalem had heard all kinds of lies that Paul was telling uh, Jews that they needed to stop keeping the Torah. And, um, and the apostles said, you know it's a lie, we know it's a lie, now let's make a public statement to show everybody how much of a lie it is. So they said, take these men who had a vow and who needed to, who were finishing the vow, and uh, who are going to the temple and uh, pay their expenses, you know, because they had to bring a sacrifice, Uh, then everybody will know that there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the Torah. And Paul takes the men, he pays for them, he participates, uh, in their ceremony, and uh, everybody and their mother sees that Paul is, in fact, a Torah observant Jew. And I did some digging here to find out that the phrase living according to the Torah goes all the way back to the Torah. Um, that the phrase living according to the Torah goes back to Deuteronomy where Israel is told to guard, lishmor, la'asot, to guard, to carefully keep, to do God's commandments. Deuteronomy 8.1, uh, be careful to follow every commandment I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase, etc. Um, and each Shabbat during the Torah service when we recite the following words, Yeshua said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Same kind of concept. That if we understand the love of God, the mercy of God, our relationship with Him, we will want to love Him through keeping His commandments. And we see that also in, at the end of Acts, in Acts 28, when He speaks to the leaders of the Jewish community, He says to them, brothers, I have done nothing against our people or against the tradition of our forefathers. So this is what we find 
in Paul's example, how he lived. So whatever he is saying here cannot mean that he is saying to people, you know, it's okay, you can blow off the first five books, just zip onto uh, Joshua. What folks don't understand is that this letter to the Galatians is a polemic, which in plain English means that it was designed to get in the face and rattle their cages big time so that these, these guys would get where they were about to go off a cliff. And what Paul, Paul makes a bunch of statements in this letter that are frankly not what you would call PC, politically correct. You know, here are a couple of examples. In Galatians 3.1, he says, You foolish Galatians! In our lingo, you morons, you clueless. <laughs> Who has put a hex on you? In chapter 3, uh, verse 3, Are you so foolish? Same kind of concept. Uh, don't you get it? I spent all this time teaching you, and it, it seemed like nothing went in. You listen, but the brain, there was nobody... Nobody in the house, you know. Um, so for Paul, what he's going to be saying in these chapters is not a complete picture of how he felt about the Torah. It just gives a little snaps, snapshots of what he wanted to communicate to them because he wanted to grab them and bring them on on course, on track. Because it was a big, big, big deal for them and for him. A couple more statements that are very much in the face. I'm astonished that you so quickly deserted the one who called you by the grace of Messiah and are turning to a different gospel, different good news, which is really not good news at all. You may be aware of exactly what was going on. There were a bunch of false teachers who were saying to these guys who were Gentiles, you have to become Jewish if you expect to have a relationship with God. Unless you are Jewish, um, you're a second-class citizen. Um, You you know, here's Israel, here's you, and, and you're kind of down here somewhere. And, uh, Folks, this is around today. This is around today. Which is why we spend so much time in our membership class, uh, from the pulpit, from uh, our studies, hammering at the fact that all of us have to be comfortable in our skin. As God made us. Jews or Gentiles, whoever we are. Either we are secure in that, and secure in who we are as God's children, or else we'll be perpetually looking to go off and become something we were not. And this is part of a larger picture that we see among all believers, and that is the inclination to say Yeshua is not sufficient. You know, the good news is not sufficient. I need to add this, that, and the other in order to make it really work in my life. 
you know, and from time to time I beat up on my uh, favorite uh, heresy, false teaching, that is, of course, the prosperity teaching. But what we see here is that legalism does not connect with being God's children. That if we understand who He is, who we are in Him, then we will want to follow in the path that He's prepared for us and learn to keep those holy standards. Why? Because we know who He is. So of course because of that, you have people then who say we are free from the law. But the truth is we're not free from the Torah. We're free to follow the commandments. Here's something else that, uh, that Paul states that is very conveniently ignored by folks. Romans 8, 3 and 4, for what the Torah could not do and that it was weak, God did by sending His Son so that the righteous demands of the Torah might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. The righteous standards that God sets in the five books of Moses are very much binding. But we can either try to keep them on our own steam and and dive into legalism or we can learn to understand that they can only be kept as we say to God, God, I need, I want to keep them. I need the power from your spirit to be able to do so. So we're free from the pit of bondage, of legalism, but we're also free from the other pit, the ditch of being antinomian or following a a libertine kind of an attitude. I think all of us have seen folks who have bounds from one ditch to the other. And frankly, I've spent some time in one ditch and then in the other ditch. And at least for me, What is freeing is the simple fact that God knows me, God understands me, God is able to lead me in the right path. Doesn't require me to be a nuclear physicist. And at the same time, we welcome, we desire to do what God wants us to do. By the way, according to someone who is more OCD than I am, who has counted uh, all the commandments in the New Covenant, the New Testament, there are somewhere about 1,050 commandments, do's and don'ts in the New Testament. So much for being free from the law. One more item that I wanted to hopefully clarify and that there is some confusion on this idea of the principles or the elements. Um, and I, I like to ask that you Look with me at here in Galatians 4, 3 
And then uh, 4, 8, and 10. Uh, so also when you were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Then verse 8, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who were by nature not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. So what does he mean by the basic principles, the weak and miserable principles? Well, uh, people in the church, fellow believers, often look at that and say, hey, it's, it's no brain. Um, the, weak, the weak and miserable principles are the fact that they were wanting to keep the Torah. So therefore, if you want to keep the Torah, you are pursuing things that are weak and miserable principles. Elements that, are, that enslave you, therefore you need to throw them off and become free. Ignoring what is really being said here. I don't know if you noticed the fact that these basic principles are connected to this one word, world, cosmos, and cosmos in scripture always refers to the world system that is controlled by Satan. I think even those guys would have a hard time saying that the Torah is controlled by Satan. I hope not. Weak and, and miserable principles is associated with the things that are not God, but gods. In other words, what Paul is saying, uh, principles or elements of this world, has to do with uh, the powers of darkness that control people, uh, either before they come into the kingdom of God and become believers, or afterwards where they have their hooks on people who are not willing to receive the word of God and follow by the spirit of God. Again, remember that Paul is a Torah-observant Jew, but one who understands that the only way you can do it is through the power of the Spirit. And all of that flows from a basic grasp of the love of God and the fact that he has this amazing, amazing set of plans for us, amazing love that he lavishes on us. And that what we want to be able to do is learn to be anchored and rooted in that so that we don't fly all over the place driven by every wind that comes along from the outside or from the inside, but instead we learn to be anchored in who the Lord is and anchored in who we are in Him. And out of that, then learn to follow the Torah. Let's pray. Father God, we bless your name. And thank you, Lord, for your amazing love that you pour out on us, Lord, 
not when we think we're good, but especially, Lord, during the times when we understand how rotten we are. Thank you, Lord, for your chesed, your unchangeable, faithful, covenant, committed, loyal love to us, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, for each one of us that we would walk out with a greater grasp of what that love means and that we will learn to walk in that freedom that we have as sons and daughters of yours and that out of that, Lord God, we will learn to seek with great joy and delight the treasures you have for us as we look into your word and study your Torah and the principles for wisdom and holiness that you have for us in your word. Lord God, we ask that you would impart that to each one of us. We ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.